Welcome to the second hour of the second episode of Air Checks. I'm your host, Ty Rosenau. This show focuses on radio shows from old-time radio to current shows written as plays or when a radio show was recorded. A showcase of radio programming that may have been lost over the decades if it hadn't been recorded and preserved for future generations. In the radio and television industry, recordings of radio shows were fairly common anywhere from transcription discs for later replay or to make sure a commercial that had been played on the air for the salesman to show their client. Airchecks is a three-hour program that is uploaded into a podcast on Saturdays and Sundays for radio stations across the nation, internationally, and for you, the listener. We're about to go into the third part of the Golden Memories of Radio with Jack Benny and Frank Knight as the host of the Lawn Giant Symphony Orchestra in 1969. Here's the Radio Reports World War II from Pearl Harbor to Corregidor. Flash, Washington. The White House announces Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Radio reported the eyewitness accounts. Hello, NBC. This is Bert Silent speaking from Manila, and this time I've got a real scoop for you. Manila has just been bombed. In fact, right now it is being bombed. And without warning, Japanese bombers started bombing Fort William McKinley, Nichols Airfield, and the RCA transmitting station at nine minutes past three o'clock without warning right now the moon is shining uh absolutely full it's it's too pain uh stand out like mirrors and uh there's no wonder that an enemy bomber could pick out any spot around this part of manila tonight it isn't the fault of the blackout there isn't a light shining any place But old man Moon just wouldn't stay back out. For the first time in history, the entire nation would listen to a United States president asking Congress for a declaration of war. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. It will be recorded that the distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. in our armed forces with the unbounding determination of our people we will gain the inevitable triumph 
So help us God. Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. Philippines were doomed. General Douglas MacArthur was ordered to Australia, while Major General Jonathan Wainwright was given the task of delaying defeat for as long as possible. General Wainwright held Bataan until April 8, 1940, when he surrendered to an overwhelming force of 200,000 Japanese troops. But the island fortress of Corregidor held out until May 6th. Then, Army listening posts in Hawaii heard these last drama-packed radio code broadcasts. They're not near yet. We are waiting for God only knows what. How about a chocolate soda? Not many. Not near yet. Lots of heavy fighting going on. We've only got about one hour, 20 minutes before. We may have to give up by noon. We don't know yet. They are throwing men and shells at us, and we may not be able to stand it. They have been shelling us faster than you can count. We've got about 55 minutes, and I feel sick at my stomach. I am really low down. They are around now, smashing rifles. They bring in the wounded every minute. It is a horrible sight. We will be waiting for you guys to help. This is the only thing, I guess, that can be done. General Wainwright is a right guy, and we are willing to go on for him. But shells were dropping all night, faster than hell. Damage terrific. <laughs> <laughs> 
too much for guys to take. Enemy heavy cross-shelling and bombing. They have got us all around and from skies. From here, it looks like firing ceased on both sides. Men here all feeling bad because of terrific nervous strain of the siege. Corregidor used to be a nice place. It's haunted now. Withstood a terrific pounding. Just made broadcast to Manila to arrange meeting for surrender. Talk made by General Beebe. I can't say much. Can't think at all. I can hardly think. Say, I have 60 pesos you can have for this weekend. The white flag is up. Everyone is bawling like a baby. They're piling dead, wounded soldiers in our tunnel. I'm vomiting. Arms weak from pounding key long hours. No rest. Short rations. Tired. I know now how a mouse feels. Caught in a trap waiting for guys to come along, finish it up. Got a treat, canned pineapple, opening it with signal core knife. My name, Irving Strobing. Get this to my mother, Mrs. Minnie Strobing, 605 Barbie Street, Brooklyn, New York. They are to get along okay. Get in touch with them soon as possible. Message. My love to Pa, Joe, Sue, Matt, Carrie, Joy, and Paul. Also to all family and friends. God bless them all. Hope they be there when I come home. Tell Joe, wherever he is, give him hell for us. My love, you all. God bless you and keep you. Love. Sign my name and tell my mother how you heard from me. Stand by. The radio operator who sent those dots and those dashes and that fateful message was Corporal Irving Strobing. Now, miraculously, he survived the battle and many years as a Japanese prisoner of war. Very fortunately, he's with us now, and he is to tell us exclusively what happened after that last dot and that last dash were transmitted from Corregidor. Mr. Stroving, 
tell us exactly what did happen. Well, Mr. Knight, the transmission was terminated when I was told that a Japanese tank was approaching the mouth of the tunnel. I thought it would be better for me to get further back in. We remained in the tunnel until the Japanese entered and took charge. We were then lined up in Malenta Tunnel itself and in a kneeling position were tapped on the shoulder by a Japanese officer using a saber and thus formally became prisoners of the emperor. You mean even under such circumstances they went to that degree of protocol? It was unexpected, but it did happen. Now, did you ever realize, Mr. Strobing, that your radio message from Corregidor was broadcast all across the country? No, Mr. Knight, uh, I really didn't. I knew that certain portions of it had definitely been received, but had no idea of just what dissemination was being made. What were the conditions, and how did you manage to survive such an ordeal? Well, Mr. Knight, the term of imprisonment lasted 1,216 days. The first portion being spent in the Philippines in a camp at Cabana Tawan until November of 1942 when I was removed to Japan itself. A 27-day voyage in the bottom hold of a Japanese freighter. Upon our arrival in Japan on the 27th of November in 42, I was put to work on a construction project, excavating by hand what was to be a dry dock and later pouring the concrete. After about a year and a half, I was transferred to another camp where we made little rocks out of big ones and also stoked the furnaces in a Japanese steel mill, and that lasted until September 5th, 1945, when we were liberated and returned to the United States. Mr. Strobing, if I remember correctly, while you were still on Corregidor, you tried very hard to get a message through to your mother. Tell us about that, will you? Well, the final transmission from Corregidor was a message to my mother and the other members of my family. It was received in Honolulu and relayed to Washington and the Army was good enough to have a colonel deliver it at home. Mr. Strobing, you're a very lucky man, and we're ever so grateful to you for being with us today. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling up the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on.
That was Radio Reports World War II from Pearl Harbor to Corregidor. Now, here's Radio Reports World War II from D-Day to Final Victory. Geography was no longer just a schoolboy study. North Africa, the Coral Sea, Leyte Gulf, Stalingrad, and then the moment the Allies had waited for occurred on June 6, 1944. The Allied commander, Dwight David Eisenhower, spoke to the world. People of Western Europe, a landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. This landing is part of the concerted United Nations plan for the liberation of Europe, made in conjunction with our great Russian allies. And FDR spoke from the United States. My fellow Americans, last night when I spoke with you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment that troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. It has come to pass with success thus far. And so, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their heart, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. They will be sore tried by night and by day without rest until the victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them. Help us, almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith 
in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. And let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travel, to bear sorrows that may come, to impart our courage unto our sons, wheresoever they may be. But at the same moment the leaders were speaking, history was being made by men in landing ships, and radio was on the spot. Listen to George Hicks as he rode in with the first assault waves to land on Fortress Europe. Our own ship has just gave its warning whistles, and now the flak is coming up in the sky. Looks like we're going to have a night tonight. And this same surge of power was being felt in the Pacific. On February 19, 1945, the United States Marines landed on Iwo Jima. An NBC newsman was with them in this bloody battle. Dallas, we hear this gunfire going on all around us. Now we are now inside the screen of warships. There's no more warships between us and the beach. These, we look out to the stern of us now, and there are hundreds of craft flying out there. But between us and the beach, nothing except a few amphibious craft that are on the beach discord their tanks. They're still beached in there. As the water's being churned up quite a bit in between us and the beach, now with the bursting of these shells. It looks like a tank burning in there on the shore. Looking through our glasses now, we're just a couple of hundred yards off the beach. We can see these Amtraks pull up along the beach and dozens of Marines around each one of them. You can see those terraces now. And stretched along on the seaside of those terraces for the cover they offer. There's a line of a line of Marines taking protection from those covers. There must be a group of Marines that have just recently landed. You can see lots of fresh material over there on the beach. And you can no doubt hear the bursting of these ships. Bursting all around it. Sojo isn't going to get much use out of this island from here on in. You get a better look at that little fire we saw on the beach. It is indeed a jeep that has been hit and burning. We were going to hit the beach in just a couple of seconds. So we're going to be quiet and brace ourselves for the shot. 
now we've hit the beach. Just simultaneously with that, with that uh, uh, shell burst that you heard, we hit the beach. The smell of victory was in the air as the Allies swept back the enemy in Europe and in the Pacific. News bulletin after news bulletin spoke of another step toward peace. Listen to John Daly on April 12, 1945. The world and the nation were shocked. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin from CBS World News. A press association has just announced that President Roosevelt is dead. The president died of a cerebral hemorrhage. All we know so far is that the president died at Warm Springs in Georgia. With the victory he had helped to engineer so close at hand, FDR did not live to enjoy the fruits of his labor. Arthur Godfrey, the old redhead himself, talked of FDR as radio again demonstrated its unique ability to transmit sorrow and loss on a very personal basis. The drums are wrapped in black crepe and are muffled, as you can hear. And the pace of the musicians is so slow. And behind them, these are Navy boys. And now just, just coming past the treasury, I can see the horses drawing the case on. And most generally, folks having as tough a time as I am trying to see it. And behind us, behind us is the car bearing the man on whose shoulders now falls the terrific burdens and responsibilities that were handled so well by the man to whose body we're paying our last respects now. God bless him, President Truman. We return you now to the studio. Less than a month later, May the 7th, Winston Churchill spoke on VE Day. The German war is at an end. We may allow ourselves a brief period of rejoicing. But let us not forget for a moment the toils and efforts that lie ahead. 
Japan, with all her treachery and greed, remains unsubdued. The injuries she has inflicted upon Great Britain, the United States, and other countries, and her detestable cruelties, call for justice and retribution. The war in the Pacific continued, fierce, bloody, with mounting casualties. Strange new words like kamikaze became part of our vocabulary. Landings on the home islands of Japan were imminent when this news broadcast changed the face of world history forever. The world will note that the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, a military base. We won the race of discovery against the Germans. We have used it in order to shorten the agony of war, in order to save the lives of thousands and thousands of young Americans. We shall continue to use it until we completely destroy Japan's power to make war. It was just a matter of time. 7 p.m. Eastern Wartime, Bob Trout reporting. The Japanese have accepted our terms fully. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the Second World War. The United Nations are united and are victorious. General Douglas MacArthur stood on the deck of the veteran man of war, the USS Missouri, to sign the official documents of surrender with the rulers of Japan. Representatives of the major warring powers to conclude a solemn agreement whereby peace may be restored. The issues involving divergent ideals and ideologies have been determined on the battlefields of the world and hence are not for our discussion or debate. Nor is it for us here to meet, representing as we do a majority of the peoples of the earth in a spirit of distrust malice or hatred. As Supreme Commander for the Allied Powers, I announce it my firm purpose in the tradition of the countries I represent to proceed in the discharge of my responsibilities with justice and tolerance while taking all necessary dispositions to ensure that the terms of surrender are fully, promptly, and faithfully complied with. the Emperor of Japan and the Japanese government and the Japanese Imperial General Headquarters to sign the instrument of surrender at the places indicated. The end of the war marked the beginning of a new era for Americans. For those of us who experienced World War II, it became the dividing line. Things were dated simply before the war or after the war.
Well, that's the end of the second hour, but we will have more in the next hour featuring the great moments of humor and pathos, which are radio programs did not always follow the script and special production of Arch Obler presents Cat Wife on Air Checks. <laughs>